Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 6. And we're looking in our series. I know Phil's ministered on it, and I know Paul ministered on it while I was away, or when I was sick, I should say. It's the first time I've preached since before Christmas, so I'm a new kid on the block, so be, be very gentle with me this morning. It's my first time. But it sure is good to be back, holding a microphone, ministering God's word. Hey, that's what I was born for. So we're looking in our series of getting into the boat, crossing to the other side. There's a whole bunch of things in this series that we'll, we'll, we want to pull out. It just doesn't mean one thing. And as we are looking at this and this preceding word comes to our lives, the Rima word, revelatory word, the now word, whatever, whatever one of those words helps you, the revelatory word, we need to see what God is trying to say to us so we can hold on to some things. And, and first of all, we see in Genesis chapter 6 that God is building an ark. I'll call it a boat, you call it an ark, call it whatever you want, but it's a vehicle. And we see in verse 14, so make yourself an ark. So make yourself, the instruction, make yourself an ark. So God puts the, the uh, onus, the responsibility onto Noah. And Noah's never seen what an ark looks like. Noah's never seen this, but the instruction, the mandate, the assignment on his life is to build a vehicle that's going to keep him and his family safe. So he says, build yourself an ark. Oh, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. So he gives him the materials. He tells him which materials. He says, make rooms in it. Guys, you've got to make room in your boat. He says, and coat it with pitch inside. In other words, waterproof it. Yes? Because you're going to go on a journey. And it's going to get pretty rough where you're going, Noah. This is how you are to build. And I love that about God. God just doesn't tell you to do something without instructing you how to do it. Yeah? But Noah's not read the book, Building Ark for Dummies. He's never seen what an ark looks like. He's got no pictures. He's got no movies. He's got nothing other than the revelation that God is giving him. So how does he describe what we're going to build to the rest of his family. He just knows what, where, which piece goes where, how to do it. He's never built a boat in his life. You know, I couldn't build you a boat with all the, the resources we have now. I couldn't build you a boat. One, because I'm rubbish at woodwork. But if God gives me a dream like he did to the, into the, his people in the tabernacle and he showed them exactly how to do it, there's something there that, you know, I learn better when someone shows me how to do something. Some people like to read first and then they love the instructions, they love the manuals. To me, skip the manual. The manual's only useful when you can't do it. Yeah? I always learn best by partnering with someone. They show me how to do it. Ah, that's how you do it. It cuts down a lot of time. It cuts down a lot of nonsensical reading. Instructions. It's like instructions. Why do we need instructions? Just give me somebody to show me how to do it. Anyway, no, I didn't have that. So God had to show him strategically inside his heart. You might not know how to get from one place to another or how to do something. So God has to show you. God wouldn't ask you to do something without him showing you. True? 
I know right now in my heart that God has been challenging me about going to the city, but I don't know how. I'll be honest. Who do I call? Where do I go? Do I shove a banner up? Do I put an ad in the paper? Do I do a video? Do I dance? Do I sing? What do I do? God says, just stand with me, keep working with me, what, and I will show you bit by bit. So I've got to trust him that I don't believe that when God told Noah to build the ark, he saw the end. He probably saw stage by stage. I can't prove that. That's just something you do. You know, I think about. So he probably said, no, Noah, build the first part, build the second part, build this, build that. Okay, now do this. Where did he get the pitch from? How did he know how to make pitch? But he did it. He knew all. He knew how to do it all. So God is saying to him, okay, this is how you build it then. The ark is to be 450 feet long. Did he have a tape measure? 75 feet, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Did he have any step ladders? He must have. Make a roof for it and finish it. The ark within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the inside of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. Wow, this thing's, he's like, God, I thought you were asking me just to build something small. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, I'm going, to dest- I'm going to destroy. Everything on earth will perish. Wow. That's one storm coming upon the earth. You might have thought the rain last night and the wind was a bit of a storm. You might have thought the, the snow that's uh, fallen throughout the country is a storm, but nothing like this was ever witnessed and never will be witnessed again. Amen? But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark. Thank God that there's a company of people, despite what's coming, will enter in. And that's always God's heart right from the beginning, that a company of people who are called by his name, who listen to his voice, will enter into the rest and security and peace of God. That's a good place to say amen. If you do what he says. If you do it how he says it. Amen. So he says, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you, bring them in to the ark. So there's other family to be brought into the boat. Think of this. There's others who have to be included into what God is telling us to build and what God is instructing you how to walk and how to listen, God is saying, bring others in. It's not about you, it's about others as well. So that those around you can enjoy the same peace and enter the same rest that you're entering to. You see, the peace that comes into Dawn's life, if she can transmit that peace, she can bring others in. True? If you're freaking out, guess what you transmit? Come on. Anxiety. Right. So if you can, if, you know, if you can sing the song, it is well, it is well with my soul, then the chances are others will begin to feed off what you transmit. Amen. That's why you've got to enter into some things so that you can bring others across. Now, you know, bringing others across is not always easy. Because when they've got anxiety and fears and doubts and all questions, It's your life then that has to speak. True? You can imagine Noah's son saying, Dad, father-in-law, what have you seen? What have you heard that's causing us to labor? Everyone's laughing at us. Everyone's laughing. You've seen the movie, haven't you? 
Was it uh, Evan? Evan Almighty. It's a great movie, that. It's a great, if you've never seen it, it's a great movie. It's not Bible. It's just a movie. But it gives you an insight to maybe what Noah had to deal with. All the crowds were watching him and laughing at him. And he said, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. And every day, who's not seen the movie? Anyone not know what I'm on about? Okay. God gives him this vision to build an ark. And every day he keeps changing more and more into Moses. It's a comedy. It's very, very good. But anyway. Eh? To Noah, sorry. Who did I say? Moses. Oh, sorry, Noah. <laughs> Moses, why did I say? I don't know, Noah. Okay. So anyway, the movie's really funny. And he builds the ark and he, he saves the day. And uh, the animals are saved and blah, blah, blah. But he says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. God always wants, God always looks to preserve, to keep life alive. Amen. And thank God that God speaks to us through his word to keep us alive. It is now through Christ you have been made alive. The Bible says. It is now through Christ that you've been made alive. And being made alive and keeping alive are two different things. To, to, to keep the breath of God, to keep breathing takes exercise. Amen. Medication or whatever it, it takes to keep your breathing sharp and strong takes time, process, Help, does it not? As you get older. So here is God's trying to keep them alive. There is a whole company that will, will not be kept alive, but there is a company of people who God very much wants to keep alive. And that's you and I. Why? Because God wants to protect, protect his good work that he began in you. God is protecting his own investment. Think about it. God is protecting you. All heaven has been poured into you. So why would God want to abandon that? Heaven never abandons us. We abandon heaven through many, many things. So we see that the storm was inevitable. Man's heart, man's wickedness brought upon the earth a storm. A wiping out, a cleansing. Now how many of you know storms are capable of doing that? Storms are very useful for wiping out and cleansing. You know, it seems that when a storm comes, a storm is not interested in history. It will wipe away anything. It has no sentiment. It has no emotional uh, attachment to anything. A storm will come and tomorrow you'll never know it's been unless you look around and see the devastation. That's how storms operate. They've always come from the beginning of time. They are not bothered how they wipe you out. Now, if you look in your Bible, and I've done an extensive search on this, have a look at the wind. The wind comes out of God's storehouse. Psalms talks about that. How God controls the wind and the waves. And God uses all things for his own purpose. Now, I don't see the value in Hurricane Katrina. I don't see... The value in those things, but all things work together. I, but I don't see it immediately. I may never see it, but I have to believe it. But storms are very, very powerful and very, very useful. In fact, we've learned to harness the power that comes from storms. The wind. We've learned to use and tap into it so we can create electricity. So if, if that's one good thing, but you know, well, the guy is, is pumping his electricity. It's wiping a village out down the road. 
So while one guy's getting good out of it, another community is being totally uprooted. Think about it. But are the two things running side by side? Yes. And here is God is using the situation in Genesis. There's a whole race being wiped out. But then there's a group of people who are being saved. Revelation says the same thing. There will be a whole world that loses out, but a company of people will arise. It's called the church. Amen. God will use what he has to use so that his own word is fulfilled. He will. And that's why some people cannot get their heads around God. They don't understand him, but we understand his ways. We must understand his ways. So, God uses boats throughout scripture to communicate his will. Yeah, I'll show you. Boats are a very important part of God communicating to our lives because they symbolize so many things. Let me just give you a few things. A boat or an ark can relate to your relationship and your obedience to God and his word. We'll read in a minute. Get into the boat and cross to the other side. Noah, get in the boat, build a boat and then get in it. Notice he just didn't say build it. He said, now get in it. Take your family in. Why? Because what you build should bring protection if you build it right. What you build should bring you protection. And how you build is what the scripture talks about. Whose foundation are you building on? What are you building? That's the very issue that God always looks at. And according to the pattern, the Bible tells us, if you're not building to the pattern, then you can expect all kinds of problems. So relationship and obedience is one uh, dynamic of the symbol of, of an ark or a boat. Another one is, it's your, it symbolizes your life in Christ. Yes? And how God can move through you. Right now, I am, the Bible calls me a vessel. Well, another word for a boat is what? A vessel. So this vessel, the treasure lies in what? earthen vessels so I'm a vessel with treasure I'm a vessel with I'm worth something you know you could say amen to that but I know I'm worth something hey this is this is no antiques roadshow you're looking at you're a treasure you're a, you're God puts his treasure inside your earthen vessel so to keep your treasure alive and keep it, you know, valuable, you have to build in a certain way. Another symbol of the boat or the ark is it's a vehicle which both you, sorry, both you as an individual and also us corporately as a church, we're a vehicle. Together we have more power when we're together, do we not? Than we do when we're on our own. But we live life on our own. From, you know, we go to work, blah, blah, blah. But when we come together, we harness who we are and what we are. True? When we synergize together, there is greater strength together than there is as an individual. Now, I know you enjoy the science, you understand the science of that, but the practicalities of it is different. So, it's symbolic of me, on my own, I've got, I am an earthen vessel, but we are a, together, we're a ship. We are a vehicle. We've got power, we've got strength when we're all together, amen? With a boat also comes water and storms. 
and waves. A boat's no good on dry land. It might look good, but it's going nowhere. True? So, the storms are symbolic of trials and tribulations. Now, I know you love that. And the Bible says, I know you love it so much, I'm going to ask you to consider them joy. Pure joy. What kind of joy? Pure joy. Not just joy, smile, <laughs> I'll grip my teeth, I'll get through it. No, no, no. There's something that needs to go deep inside. It's got to be pure and it's got to be joy. In other words, the joy isn't about a smile or a laughter. Joy is something that is, comes from God. He gives to you. It's not, I won't call it peace, but it's not a million miles away from peace. Amen? It gives you hope. Joy gives you hope. Some people think joy is just laughing. No, no, that's called laughter. Yeah? But there's something. I'll tell you what joy does. It, it refreshes your spirit. It refreshes your soul. Yes? You feel that you're moving away from what's holding you down and you're moving closer to freedom. True? So it's like the anchor being lifted. The thing that was weighing you down is now lifting. He's now setting you free. Amen? So the trials and tests. Now the trials and tests are necessary and I know you don't like them. Why? Because they are the very things that build character in you. And they cause you to trust they cause you to rely on. They cause you to take note of the very things that are being said. See, if you don't take note of things and build upon, your trial will be on repeat. And you'll have a groundhog day. A groundhog day is when you live 20 years the same day every day. It's called repeated experience. Some people say, I've got 20 years experience. And they use it. So what they're saying is that they've had one year experienced it 20 times. What kind of experience is the question I want to ask? Not that you've not, I don't just want to know you've got experience. We've all got experience. But guess what? You say, I've got experience, but you might be broke. I have somebody else who got experience. They're a millionaire. Who am I going to listen to? Because the man... With the experience, he's never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Now, I might need to listen to the guy who's got the bad experience to get him out so they can have, change his experience. Amen? So the storms are symbolic of trials and tribulations. In this life, you will have them. In fact, you may already be sat in here today with a trial or a storm or a tribulation. Since this new year, I've had my gut full of them. But that's life. That is life, Esther. You've just got to suck it up and get on. I could be sat there, mopes in, but that's not life. I learn through these things. I grow through these things. In fact, I was just thanking God for them the other day. Lord, thank you. You've sent these things my way. Show me what you want to learn. Well, you want me to learn, I should say. So I can get through these things as quick as possible. That's not a bad idea, is it? Or I, can, I can moan and complain about you sent them. And, you know, it's, it's really weird because in the last couple of months I've been thinking, you know, I've had life pretty easy just recently. I really was thinking that. It was strange. And I kept thinking, you know, like, you know God, this is what I said. This is no word of life. And God's picked me up on it. You know what, God, I need a trial. I said it. And it's almost like, shut up, you fool. I need a trial. Why? Because I need to grow. I need to go deeper. 
But I don't choose the track. It's not like you get to spin the wheel. And spin the wheel and choose the ones that you think, oh yeah, I like that one, I don't like that one. No, 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 no. Spin the wheel of fortune. Or destiny. And it's like God's thought, you know what, Tony? Me, the Father, and the Holy Ghost, we're only thinking the same. So, New Year comes, bang. Well, Christmas comes, bang. But you know what? I can complain, and I have. Certainly when I was sick, I complained. And I, I cried out one day. I was so brassed off with myself that I fell out with myself and said, I'm leaving you. If you don't change your ways, I'm out of here. And I cried out to God. I said, God, if you don't step in my boat, I don't know what's going to happen. I got so disillusioned with what I was feeling. And you know, God came into my boat and strengthened me. And he was called antibiotics. No, he wasn't. God heard my cry. And in the midst of the storm, I cried a different cry as I was throwing up. God unheard, you know. God heard me. Because there's a, there's a desperacy when you cry out to God. And God knows when, when you, what kind of cry. You know, the child cries, it's a whinge. The child cries and it can be just, it wants attention, but it's not serious. The child can cry because it needs the help. And God, only God knows the difference. He can pick out the notes and the frequency. So the storm is symbolic of so many things. The, you know, the boat is symbolic of things. You know, the storms are symbolic of trials and tests, like I say, because it causes us to trust and obey and develop greater faith. Storms are symbolic of spiritual warfare. Amen? And spiritual attacks that come upon our lives. But you know what storms also can do? They bring confusion. They bring much confusion to your life. And they cause you to drift off course. They cause you to lose hope. They cause you to stop looking and believing. Now you start finding a different way of how to get from point A to point B. Sometimes they can be so bad upon your life. All you do, all you feel like you're doing is you're just surviving rather than living. And they have such a way that they batter you. And they, you know, there's sometimes, you know, when they train a horse, you try and break the will or bend the will, should say is a better word, bend the will of a horse, right? So that, you know, an unruly horse, it wants to do its own thing. So you try and bend its will. But if you break its spirit, you'll never be able to ride it. And you've got a will and you've got a spirit, But God sometimes allows and other times the enemy comes, which God still is in control. And it's all designed to break your will and your spirit. And once your spirit's been broken, it's hard to to fix. But you see, our will doesn't have to be broken. It has to be bent, conformed, you know, humility. If, If God can use, or I should say, if God can, or you can conform your will to his will, Your spirit never has to be affected. But very often God has the problem with our will. That's why Jesus said his own son, not my will, but yours. You could not get a greater trial than the one Christ was going through on our behalf. But he went through it nevertheless, not my will. If there's any other way. So it's not wrong to ask for another way. It's not wrong. Lord, get me out of here. Can I, can I go and do this? God says, no. Why? Because it's not my will. But you say, Lord, the pain's so severe. There must be another way. 
But you see, if your will is really conformed or is being conformed to the will of God, you will find a, a, an acceptable, a pleasing way. Something will enter into your soul that will say, you know what, despite this, I'm still going to go this way. I'm going to choose the will of the Father as opposed to my will. And guess what, guys? This is, this is really a time in your life when your immaturity and your maturity is on the line. It will really determine how long you enter into the, the, the wilderness or how long it will take you to come to the Father's heart. You know, people get lost in the desert just like they get lost in the seas. Some people are never found, are they? They're just, they're just floating around the world and they'll turn up somewhere. And that's how so many believers as they go through the eye of the storm, they just float around. They're going somewhere, but they don't know. But they're dead in the water. And yet, there are others, because they choose to do the will of God, despite the storm, staying in the boat, they'll get to the other side. And do you know what? The other side is not something you can always see. Sometimes the lake is quite big. For some, you're asking, God's asking you to cross a lake. For others, he's asking you to cross a river. For others, he's asking you to cross an ocean. Depending how, or should I say, what's in your life and what God is doing with your life, it can be seen and it can, it should say, it can be falsely interpreted. Let me give you some facts. How many has heard of the, of the ship called the Titanic? One of the, probably one of the most famous ocean liners to have ever uh, sunk. Now, for many, many years, the two questions concerning the Titanic has been this. Why... When it was a clear night and the sea was calm, why did they hit an iceberg? And why, when there was a ship only five miles away, why did it not come to the rescue? For years, how many years ago was it, Andy? Oh. 1912. So, 100 years, okay. So for 100 years... This has been a question. Now, the guy, the captain of the ship five miles away had to live and went to his grave with the pressure that he ignored a major disaster and should have intervened and could have intervened. So he, the, the, the society put all the pressure on him as well as the captain on the Titanic until science came in. Science taught them when they investigated this I watched a whole documentary on this. I was fascinated by it. And it really taught me a principle. What they never had or they never asked was, how do temperatures change what you see? Think of this. When you get hot air and cold air in a certain part, you create all kinds of mirages. And they looked at all the ships Passing through that water and every ship logged in their logs that it was the most of unusual of nights. It was clear, crystal. The, you couldn't count the stars. The waters were clear. But the temperature had created a mirage. So here they are. They're sailing on the ship. It looks like when you, when you look at a mirage, this is what can happen. Everything gets flat, flattened. So you just see a straight flat line. You didn't know that, did you? 
So when they were sailing, they could not see any icebergs. It just looked like the ocean was flatlined. And as they were sailing, all of a sudden, once they moved through the heat haze and then went through the mirage, instantly they're, they're looking at an iceberg. And they hit the iceberg, it was too late. No, why? So all that time it was lovely and clear, but they could not see what was obvious. But it wasn't obvious because other forces were coming into play. Now, science absolutely, 100% proves this now. They now have the mystery as to why the Titanic sank. It wasn't human stupidity. It wasn't people didn't look. People wasn't doing their job. So when they sent the signal out, again, because of the mirage, they didn't see the full SOS. Give you a clue. When you stand at the top of a high building, I'm going somewhere with this. You think, thank God. When you stand at the top of a building, what do the lights do when you look at them? They flicker. But is that, is that electricity constant? Right. So the light's not moving, is it? Right, so the temperature from where the light is to where you are is changing your perception of what you see. Does that make sense? Right. Hey? <laughs> she won't be on top of a building. But you get the point. Right. When the disciples were in the boat, what was their mirage? It's a ghost. Well, we're not quite sure what it is. If it's you, Lord, bid me to come. Peter was testing. I'm not quite sure. If what I'm seeing is right. True? So then he hears the voice and he goes, ah, I recognize the voice. But he's not confirmed. He's not convinced by what he sees. He's only convinced by what he... Right. Very often when we're going through our trials, we're so governed by what we see. But we must be governed by what we hear. Because a lot of what we see is like a mirage, this temperature. True? There's all, the atmosphere is confusing what you see. True? Forces are at play. There is your own soul. There is your own will. There is your own maturity, immaturity. There is your ability to hear what God's saying. But then the other force comes in. And you know what the force is? Your speculation. How much do you speculate of what the scenario is? I got my hand up high. I speculate all kinds of things. And I let my mind run away with me. And am I the only one? It sounds like you're looking thing. let him go on his own here. Let him go on his own. And then I go, Lord, if that is you. Have you ever done that, Lord? Well, if it's you, so if it is, so it's all your fault if it's not. Because I, I see a mirage. If it's you, well, I'll come. But you don't expect him to turn around and say, hey, peekaboo, it's me. Come. But no, you'll stand here like this and think, no, Lord, it's not you. Uh, no, 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 no. If it's you, come. That means now you have to get out your boat. You have to walk on the water. Oh, well, actually, I didn't expect you to get me wet. I didn't expect you to take me out of my comfort zone. But you know, you're not comfort in your boat. You're still freaking in your boat. You're still stressing. But sometimes God 
wants you to see that what you're thinking and feeling and perceiving is nothing but a mirage based on your speculation. It's not based on him. You could turn around and say, well, Peter had great faith and Peter did have good faith. But you know what? Peter also sunk. Let's not forget the bottom line is Peter sunk. You can put whatever spin you want on it. And I've heard many, many people preach it from different angles and have all been refreshing. But guess what? The bottom line is, like the Titanic, Peter sunk. And he needed, no, the boat wasn't, though Jesus wasn't five miles away, he saw Peter was in distress and he reached out his hand and he grabbed him. Now that's what that boat would have done five miles away had they interpreted the sign and saw the, saw the light not flickering. They would have got the clear message, come, we, we're in distress. And you know what? Casualties would have been low, far lower. I'm not saying there would have been no casualties. But that is, that's history. But now they have science to prove it, that it was not, you know, inept. It wasn't an inept captain or it wasn't people. It wasn't a people problem. It was a perception based on the weather. Whether you'll do it or whether you won't. Whether you listen or whether you won't. Now, therefore, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Phil read this to us last week. Jesus says, oh sorry, Phil didn't read this last week, this is a different scripture, sorry, Matthew 8 was what Phil read to us last week, we'll go there in a minute, so you've only got to flick one page, but Matthew seven twenty four says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. You know, you don't see many lighthouses sinking, do you? You don't, do you? Why? Because they're built on something strong, firm, and they know they can take the testing of the storms. Yeah? Because they are meant to be a beacon of hope and help. They are meant to be the guide. Yes? To steer other ships from falling upon the rocks and entering into danger. True? So he says this, the rain came down. Has anyone ever had this? The streams rose up and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand the rain came down the stream rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash what we build upon how we see what god is speaking to us will determine the trials, the tribulations, how fast we can get through them. It will determine the lessons we can learn. It will determine the joy that enters into my heart, the peace that can enter into my heart. Because guess what? You will enter trials. I can't shield you from them. And God never said you would never have them. So when people say, if God loved me, he won't let me go through this. No, no. The fact that it's a proof that God does love you. But your perception of what you're going through greatly distorts what you see. Was the what was it a clear night? When the Titanic was clear night. All the logs document how clear it was. The ocean was flat. It was clear. It was beautiful. There was no waves, no storms. But yet there was an iceberg. It was always there. 
It just didn't pop up. It was always there. But perception was distorted. Amen? Your trial can greatly be distorted by what you perceive or don't perceive. Amen? And casualties will be incurred if you do not interpret and read the atmospheric changes. True? You know, we have sophisticated equipment today, and yet things still crash. Do you know we have sophisticated equipment and snow still falls when they tell us it's not? Or doesn't snow when it's supposed to? You know what they tell you and then keep changing their mind. If the prophets would have stoned them a long time ago. You cannot, you cannot always chart your journey based on the weatherman. True? You have to take precautions. It could be sunny. Well, maybe we can rule that one out. It could be rainy. It could be wintry. It could be autumn. That's all in one day. That's if you live in Manchester. As you move through the country, it changes. And if you get the sun, if you get a sunny day, guess what? You're blessed. It's a mirage. It's not real. It won't last long. But it's there nevertheless. So what we build and how we build will determine how long we go through the trials. But we are going to go through the trials. And I want to help you see some things. The power of the boat will really teach us some lessons. He told Noah. Noah, can you imagine? None of us can ever imagine the velocity or the veracity of those winds and waves through those 40 days. It must have been freaky. You ever seen these trawlers, these ships will go up and down like that? I mean, that must have been, you know, it must have, only God could keep that thing straight on the inside. And you just think, Noah, uh, this is a good time. You think, I hope he's pitched that tent right. I hope he's put enough on there so he doesn't leak. All those animals, there was enough waves to cause those animals into a mass panic and turn upon everyone. True? There was enough reason for a storm to be created inside the boat just as much as there was one outside the boat. True? And as that water level kept rising and rising and rising, there had to be peace inside there. So it goes back to Matthew 8. Let's go there. Let's go back to Matthew 8. Or let's go to Matthew 8. Verse 18, Matthew 8, verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man, where's he gone, has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, see, you do have somewhere to lay your head. Let me just stop there a minute. You do have somewhere to lay your head. You lay your head inside Christ. Jesus was preparing the way. He had his father, but he had no earthly attachment. You have earthly attachments, but you also have a spiritual inheritance. True? So the same can't be said of you. You do have security. You do have something and someone that you can look to and lean upon. Amen? You do have materials to build upon. This was Jesus laying the foundation and and saying, look, you guys may have all kinds of things, but the Son of Man has to pave a way so that others can come. Yes? So then he says, but Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. And then he says in verse 23, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And without warning, a furious storm came up upon the lake 
So the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Mass panic. Perception. But he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? What do you mean why I'm afraid? The waves. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So something caught a hold of them, which took them from fear to peace. Notice how long, all in just one conversation, our hearts were brought into alignment. Panic, fear, potential, bail out, bail out, to peace. Now you see, when Noah was in the boat, and all that water was... Those waves were going up and down. Imagine, this flood covered even Mount Everest. Because it flooded the complete earth. So, you are, I would like to I can't imagine how much water. I can't imagine the wind and the waves. I can't imagine what kind of ride that was. That was no, that couldn't have been no pleasure cruise. But something inside that boat kept all those people at rest. Because you never hear... You never heard Noah getting out saying, we're never booking on that cruise again. True? There wasn't an outbreak of dysentery. And yet, you think with all those animals, whoa. Because it's not like they had a little flap there, you could pee outside, was there? So the smell must have been, oh. Think of the dynamics. Just allow your mind to be unholy for a minute. Think of the dynamics. You ladies, you go mad if us fellas have not flushed the toilet one, one pee. Imagine how these guys were feeling. So all kinds of smells and then you're cooking in there. God, listen, we can let our minds just go. But all we need to know is that God filled the inside with his peace and his rest. And everything was secure. Everything was at peace. And those animals, they walked out. Beautiful, intact. Noah and his family were at peace. And yet the guys inside the boat here were all freaking out. Until Jesus Christ does something that rebukes the wind and brings alignment back into the hearts. And he he shows them a dynamic of his own character that they had not yet seen. That he was able to speak to the wind and waves. My friend... The dynamic that you've got inside you, you can speak to the wind and waves. That is the power that's inside you, given to you. But you can only speak to what you accurately perceive. This is why the Bible says, we are not, listen, we are not like, I'm going to put it paraphrase Tony version. It doesn't say this exactly, but you'll know what I mean. We are not idiots who beat the air. Spiritual people do spiritual things to get spiritual results. We are not fools. We are wise people who know how to pray. So when we pray, heaven heaven responds to accuracy. But you, if you get the wrong perception, you'll be praying the wrong word. And you'll be sowing further confusion over your own atmosphere. 
This is why you must understand what God is saying. Because if you're praying something different than what God is saying, God can't answer. Now, he can bring you into alignment. He can show you. Once you're in alignment, you can realign your prayers. Boom. Go. True? Daniel was praying. He was praying accurately. And because of the spiritual atmosphere and the war that was going on around him, delay took place. But never once did God ever rebuke him for praying inaccurate prayer. He said, we heard your prayer, Daniel. We heard, we heard exactly what you were praying. And it was bang on. And it took us this length of time to get through the traffic control you know the clouds over your life but when we came we came to an accurate prayer whenever Paul prayed whenever Jesus prayed the heavens were always cleansed over despite what they were going through despite what they were going through perception was still clear why because they knew the secret of how to enter in (coughs) rather than be phased and confused by everything that's going around. Now listen, we all do this. So we have to learn step by step of how to, cl- how to cleanse and how to clear our perception. True? This is why the trials and the tests come. Because you lean on God, you see things you didn't see. You repent about the things you never repented about. And you rise above the circumstances that you never thought you could. Why? All because a trial came. True? True? But it's amazing how many miserable faces stand at church. Raise those holy hands. No, I'm in a trial today. Why? God's not good to me today. He's unkind. Because that's what, that's what kids do. Kids say, because mum won't give it me. Or dad won't listen to me. No, dad heard. Dad did listen. And you say, Johnny, give me that attitude. You're going to get a slap and go to bed. <laughs> that's how many of us are with God. Very often. And God says, you know what? I see the end from the beginning. There will be a better day, Tony. Don't worry. You're mad today. You're complaining today. But guess what? I see Wednesday. And you, and you want to see yourself on Wednesday. You're a different lad. You're a different lad on Wednesday. And all of a sudden now, now you're, I can hear you crying saying, sorry, Lord, sorry, Lord. But I remained constant while you were crying on the Monday. But you didn't see Tuesday and you didn't see Wednesday coming. But I did. Why? Because I'm still in the boat. You know, the weather changes very quick, doesn't it? Around here. And it changes very quick in people's lives. But here's what it says in Matthew 8.24. Without warning, a furious storm came up. Without warning. You know, it seemed to me that on the 20... No, on the 19th of December... I was in good health. By the 21st of December, a storm came up without warning. And then other things have developed in life and godliness. That's okay. But they came without warning. And listen, what kind of storm was it? Furious. It wasn't like you go on the ride, the log flume. And you go round and round. You know the fun fair, you've been on it, it goes round. And you get to the end and you all wait for the splash. And that splash is meant to bring fun. Bring you into fun and a smile on your face. No, no, no. Some furious storms don't bring a smile on your face. You know that, don't you? And here it says, and it came upon, it came upon them. So the lake, so the, the waves swept over the boat. So it's no longer now just around them, it's inside them. 
And you know, every time we hear about cancer on our TVs and we're in health, it's outside our boat. And then they give you the statistics. And every time they give you a statistic, you feel like it's getting closer. It could be getting inside my boat. And then you have to go to the doctors one day. And what do you fear? You fear it's already got in your boat. Why? Because of propaganda. Now, I'm not saying the propaganda was wrong in this sense because they're trying to educate us. There's no maliciousness behind that. But what I'm saying is, it's amazing how something on Monday can be outside your boat. But actually, it's inside your boat. You know why? Because subconsciously, you began to think about it many, many, many months ago. So when it actually comes into your boat, it was a fear that you always had. It got inside your boat a long time ago. It just didn't cause you to capsize. But now you've had someone confirm, you feel, Jesus, you've abandoned me. You're not in the boat. But he was always there. Was Jesus in the boat before the water got there? Right. So he was always there. But what changed? Their perception. That's all what changed was their perception. Why? Because there was, listen, because there were miracles and there were things yet for you to see that you had not yet seen at that point. And had that situation not arisen, you could never have seen Jesus do it. That was so good, I'm going to say it again. There are things outside your boat, and it's sort of inside your boat, that, and there are miracles that's going to happen in your life and the perceptions of God that you need to see that unless that water gets inside your boat, you'll never give up an opportunity for God to do something that you've never seen before. Because when you're sailing on the, on the, uh, on the ocean and it's nice and flat line and you're just rowity boat, rowity boat and everything's wonderful and you're having your picnic, what do you learn? But it's amazing how many Christians will settle for that. Michael rowed the boat ashore. Hallelujah. But guess what? We're not built for that kind of journey. We're built for all weather. Amen? We're built for all weather. All weathers. So, I guess when you see the street stores like HMV, Jessup's, Blockbusters, and other manufacturers such as Honda, either closing down or reducing their staff, It can appear like a storm is going right through the nation, economically. True? So when you see it on the news, Jessup's is gone. My God. Max and Spencer's gone. Oh, no, Lord. Aldi's gone. Yes! (laughs) News at 10. You watch the reports and you're thinking... Oh my God, this country's sinking. True? Come on. And you think, but how many of you know that for those people who worked in those industries and those shops, they knew a long time ago before you did. But you didn't see them running on the street going, oh, we're going down. They knew a long time before you did. So the storm was always around well before you knew. The only thing that changed was that you heard it. And when you heard something, it set off a speculation. The trouble with Britain is that it's so small, we replicate everything everywhere. So when you take Jessops out, everywhere in the country loses Jessops. True? 
So it seems like a bigger impact. We are not about to lose perspective. We are not ignorant. We know we are going through economical hardships. We know that that ultimately filters down to the places you work. True? But we cannot be under the same stress as those above it. We can't, church. We can't. We just can't afford to live in survival mode. Because when you hear companies are closing, when you hear that, you fear. And you think, Lord, if it's you, then make this happen. Make that happen. God says, you know, this is good that you (coughs) hear this stuff because I'm watching your response. Your response is far more important about what you hear. I'm watching you, church. I'm watching how you respond during this time. I'm watching how you can lay hold of the word that has been spoken. Do you, is, it, is it just for you an iceberg that's just popped up? It was always there for me, God says. I saw it. I see the end from the beginning. But you don't. You see in stages. And now the point is, when God says to us, church, get inside the boat, you and I have to be very, very clear about what it means for us to be in the boat. Because for many, many people, the boat can mean so many different things. I said at the beginning that there, you are a vessel. Together, we are a bigger vessel. I, I outlined at the beginning all the, the things that this boat can symbolize. Nevertheless, two things we do know is that storms are outside, but that there's a vehicle to get across. True? We are not getting across because of the storm. We are not getting across the other side because of what's going on outside our boat. We are told to get in the boat because we're told to get in the boat. But what happens around us is going to come. Because, you know, outside you, God's also got a will. Outside Noah and his family, there was a storm. Can you imagine the panic that hit the nation... And how those people then ran, ran and ran and ran until the waters just overtook them. It looked cruel. It looked like genocide. Think about it. It looked like, what was that place where the tsunami hit? In Indonesia? No, no. No, the actual the tsunami, a couple of years. That'll do. When, those, when you saw those waves coming in, people were in despair. No time, no nothing. Now, no at that time. Noah was told. Now you and I, my friends, we don't know what will overtake us tomorrow or try and overtake us, but we have a good sense. Stay in the boat. Build your boat according to my word. So that God is always trying to warn us. He's he's actually told us storms are on the way. You just don't know what they look like when they come. And if you don't interpret it, you'll always be in trouble. Now, those people who lost their jobs... For you, for you, when it finally comes to when it finally comes out in the newspapers or on the news, to them it's the end of an emotional stress, and because they've they've carried it for a long time, now the nation goes knows. But it can also be the start of another emotional stressful journey. How do I find work now? Where do I go? We're going to have to move. We're going to have to sell the house. All that kind of stuff. But for you and I, we've been told these things will always take place and they'll always be around us. In fact, it says, "Take heart, I've overcome the world." So you're working from. A victorious position 
if you have the right perception. But you know, some people fear the boat because they can't swim. My mother could not swim. So when she died, where do we bury her ashes? On the River Mersey. We thought, you're swimming now, aren't you? You're not complaining now. We just thought there was a sense of irony in that. All those years she was fearful. So we said, no, to be fair, you've got to face fear. Face your fear, mother, and let her go. Hey, she was just ashes. We could let her go. And we saw the irony and you know, humour in that. But you know, you've got to learn to face your fears. Got to learn to face your fears. But this boat, my friend, this boat, or this lifeboat, whatever you want to call it, I don't like to call my boat a lifeboat because I'm not... I don't, I'm not built for crisis. Do you know what I mean by that? If a crisis comes, then we'll get out. We've got a vehicle there. I've got a word. But I don't live my life by crisis. And there's many times when you're going to have to cross over to the other side. Crossing over is part of our life. It's not a one-off event. You know, in every, Israel left Egypt. For her, that was a significant crossing over. She had so many obstacles preventing her from getting out but she crossed over joshua crossing the river uh, river jordan with the ark it was a crossing over experience for israel it was a defining point true you're going to have defining points a key decision that you've made or going to make this year is either going to save you financially spiritually it's going to save marriages it's going to save relationships why because you make the right choice and these are considered And logged in heaven as key crossing over moments. They really are. The one thing that determines your crossing over moment. And the safety in your vessel. Is your obedient response to what God has said. And what God is saying. Always. It's always about your obedience. To what God has said. And what God is saying. But let me just say something. And on this I'm closing. Let's just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is something I felt as, as uh, Phil was preaching last week, God began to show me. So Revelation releases Revelation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Now this morning we took communion. And some, I say some, don't understand what communion is. Others have different varied understandings of what communion is and could be and should be. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the body is a unit. Okay? It's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So how many parts? Many parts form what? One body. One one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. So God used the water to baptize us into Christ into his name and into his body. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, let me make that very easy for us, whether European or African or South African or uh, Australian, whatever you want, we're all one. One culture, one nation does not get any preference above any other. We're just one. Amen? And that's how Christ likes it and that's how Christ has built it. So whether we're Jew or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. This morning, we all drank from the same well. As the Holy Spirit was hovering over us, we all drank from him. 
Amen. We fed from the Father. We worshipped the Son. And as the Holy Spirit opened up the wells, we all drank from him. Amen. Why? Because there's one. And that's all it is. And then he says this. Uh, that now the body is, is not made up of one part, but many. If the, if the foot should say, because I'm, a, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, I would not for the reason cease to be part of the body. And he goes on, and I want to just leave it there. But this, this part here, when it says, we're all, being, we're all being put into one body. One body. We're many parts. We're individuals. But we're also a collective. We're a body. I want to keep saying that. This morning... When we took the bread and the wine, this is sacred. This is not religious. This is holy. This is liberating. This is truth. It's not transubstantiation. That's a big word to say. In other words, Phil said this morning, it's, you know, the, it's bread, but it's not the literal body. Others believe it is. But we don't believe in transubstantiation. It's a big word. This is a symbol. It's not the real thing. Amen. I drank Vimto this morning on Ribena. I didn't drink blood. True? So you understand that now? This is not the literal, this is not the, 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 the literal thing. This is a symbol of what took place and what is actually being grafted into our lives. So it's real in every sense of the word. Amen. So when Christ went to the cross, he bore the marks where? In his body. It was a body that hung on the cross. It was a body. Now, every part of Christ was all together. Right? But when he hung on that cross, he, was hang, he hung on that cross because what would be grafted into him. True? He hung on that cross calling a Peter, a Lawrence, a Tony. And any other name in here that cries out to him. There was room inside him for you. And there still is. So we are grafted into Christ. Through the work on the cross. Through the redemption. He bought you back out of the slave market. And put you inside Christ. So he put you inside. So wherever Christ goes he doesn't leave you on your own. He takes you with him. Why? Because we're one body. Now this spiritual church of which we are still has to bear the marks the storms the trials the tribulations the tears the setbacks become the marks in us proving that our faith is genuine true when we fight corporately together for the same thing, not against one another now. But when we fight together, this church bears the marks. Do you understand this church? This is why Sunday service is not a church. Sunday service is a building and a, and a gathering of people. But the church is when we make a heart. Let me explain it like this. I know this might help you. Every one of us in here have got, we're related to people. We're related to family that we don't relate to. That makes sense? We've all got family members that we do not relate to. But we're related. True? We don't like them. Never have liked them. And probably never will like them. Is that fair to say? Come on, be honest with yourself. But you're related to them. 
So it's a strange thing to see families, strong families. I'm not talking about you and your daughter and your son and your husband. I'm talking about, you know, your relatives. When brothers or sisters, uh, you know, or families two and three, four and five, six and carry on, it's, it's, a str- it's a strange thing to see a family strong as they grow up because each person does their own thing. So we're related, but we never see him. In fact, Phil said he's never seen his brother for how many years? 12 years. He's not counting. 12 years, he's not seen his brother. Now, is he related to his brother? Right. But does he relate with his brother? No. Just like you. I'm not saying you, not everyone here. I'm just a general comment this. Okay? I had a grandma who lived next door but five, and I didn't see her for 10 years. I was related to her, but I wasn't relating with her. Now, in the church, we are in danger of doing the same thing. We are related, but we don't want to, don't know how to, don't see the need to relate. So, therefore, for you, you can never be part of the one body. You are, in, you are because the Bible said it. So, what happens? This is what happens. Listen. When someone doesn't want to, doesn't see the need to, doesn't like what, I don't like Dawn, she doesn't like me, we're never going to relate, are we? True? She's happy if I sit over there, I'm happy if she sits over here. This is, this is, this, this is not real. I'm happy for her to be in church, but as long as we don't have to talk with one another. As long as she doesn't have to come to my house, I don't have to go to her house. As long as I have to put my hand in my pocket and bail her out. Come on, be honest. We're happy to see one another. We're happy that you come every week. But as long as I have to relate with you, I'm I'm okay. But then we all go to the same church. But what is church to you then? No, we all go to the same building. You won't bleed for me. I won't bleed for you. I won't pray for you. You won't pray for me. I won't be generous with you. You won't be generous with me. My friends, stop kidding each other. We're related, but we don't relate. Let's call it what it is. There's no relation going on here. There's no relating to one another. That's not the body Christ explains. So when there is no body life, this is what happens. Individuals all of a sudden become a one-man vessel or a one-couple vessel and Michael rows his own boat ashore and singing hallelujah. Think about it. So what they do is, I'll follow the corporate ship because we need the corporate ship but I'll follow under my own strength because now I think I've got all the wisdom, all the strength, all the energy to make my own journey. So I sail in my own boat. So I'm following, but I'm not part of. It's amazing when a warship comes home from war, all the little ships go out. And they all follow it and they're all celebrating. I go, you didn't fight the war, you scuffer. You didn't lose any casualties. You didn't bleed for us. You're just happy for Sunday celebration. Homecoming. True? They never left the harbour. This thing went on the, on the seas. Come on, be honest. If we are, we are individuals, so we're the lifeboat. We are an individual lifeboat. But when we corporately see ourselves as a body, we see ourselves as a ship. Some people see themselves as an ocean liner. Some people see themselves as a love cruise. I believe we're more of a battleship. You've got all those things still going on, but you are, you are built for something different. 
You're built for taking off. You're built for strategy. You're built for, you know, for taking new territories. That's the kind of ship I believe. Now on that, you have medics. You have entertainment. You have, you know, good connections, good relationships on there. But everyone knows what they're on the ship for. They've been trained that way. To think a certain way. To respond a certain way. They're not so much worried about the waves because they know their vessel's strong. It can take a pounding. True? So the people are configured in a certain way to take a certain trip. Like I say to you, the, the lake for, indivi- for every individual is different. But corporately, there can only be one journey. But you're making a journey in your own faith. So there are many, many individual you know, journeys being made throughout every given day. But there is, when we come in, we know exactly where, what we're about. But if we don't learn to relate, I'm telling you now, getting in this boat means nothing. Those disciples had no reason to relate with one another. They only came from the same country, same uh, culture, but professionally and character-wise, they were all different. But yet when Jesus said, get in the boat and follow me, they just got in. And they worked it out, and they worked it, and they worked it out relating. They had to relate with one another. And they argued, and they probably disagreed and fought and things like that. But they all had the good sense to get in that boat. Why? Because they were all obeying the same word that was spoken by Christ to them individually and there was private conversations and there'd be times when Jesus would sit down and speak to them as a group then he might speak to two or three of them but it was always Jesus was always consistent so they would feed on that word and it would cause them to do amazing things but that boat is so so important now here's the issue and this I finish I promise I promise Stop worrying about the size of the waves. And start thinking and considering the build quality of your own boat. Can your boat take a pounding? Do you have to be capsized every time the wind and the waves hit you? Do you constantly have to be in distress every time you're in a trial? Come on. What is the build quality of your boat are you waterproof or do you leak every time a wave comes the secret of this boat is this is to come back to corinthians and learn to relate because my strength on my own is incomplete now i know one man vessels don't think about strength they just focus on their own And I know people get in their own boats because of insecurities, of fears. And I don't need you. Oh, I need you on a Sunday, but I don't need you. Church, please, we have to bear the marks of Christ. Rather than keep looking at your scars. There's a difference between marks and scars. Believe me, I've got enough scars on my body. But the marks of Christ is what causes me to relate. I carry him. This morning when we took the communion, I felt very passionate about what I was doing. And I haven't felt that for a while. I began to see that this body is all we've got. His body was bruised for our iniquities. So that we could enjoy, oh, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, suffering the shame. So that you and I could be in Christ. We could relate with one another and relate with this head. It has to be complete. You cannot relate this way. But think you can only relate that way. We cannot be related to one another 
but not relate with one another. It's wrong. It's so wrong. And we have to find ways. And it starts with our own thinking and our own mindset. If you see yourself as an individual boat, then you'll never get in the boat that Jesus is telling you to get into. You always expect, listen, Jesus was in the boat. You want him in your boat. That's not right. Get in his boat. Rather struggling to get him in your boat. Because your boat might be going the wrong way. But his boat is what he told those disciples to get into. There was times when, he came, when they were already in the boat and he, and he came in. But in this particular case, he's talking about us all getting in the boat and Christ is in the boat. He can rebuke the winds and waves. And there'll be some battles that we, you cannot fight on your own. We have to fight corporately. And there's one over there, dawn right now. As we all rise up and pray peace, guess what? Two voices is better than one. But if one voice, all there is, it's just as powerful. But two is better than one. That's a Bible concept. So let's stand to our feet, if you will, please. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.